The first scripture reading today comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. The second scripture is from Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 22. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. The word of God for the people of God.
his book, um, Half Truths, Adam Hamilton calls this statement a one-third truth, and I have to agree. The truth of this phrase comes from today's scripture that Sue read for us from 2 Thessalonians. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. See where that comes from? Yet we hear that some of you are living idolized lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of Lord Jesus Christ to settle down, just calm down people, and work to earn your own living. Paul wrote this to the new Christians in the city of Thessalonica because he had heard that they misunderstood what he had originally taught them. He taught the people to, one, trust in Jesus rather than the Roman Empire to take care of them. And then, two, to trust that Jesus might come back at any moment. And so some of the Thessalonian converts, they mistakenly merged these two beliefs. And they became to believe that trusting in Jesus meant that they could quit their jobs and wait for his forthcoming return. They assumed that they didn't have to work or be careful with spending because, well, God was going to provide for them, either by simply giving them what they needed or by Christ coming again. So Paul was writing to these, these early Christians to clarify Trusting in Jesus doesn't mean that you pray and that God takes care of everything, but our faith moves us to action, even while we trust in God. We pray and we work. When the Welches sit down for a meal, we close our eyes and we sing the prayer. I'm not going to sing it for you because I don't sing it very well. For health and strength, and daily food, we give you thanks, O Lord. Amen. But just because we say this prayer doesn't mean that when we open our eyes, there will magically be food on our plates. We worked for the food on our plates. Literally, we worked to earn a paycheck so that we could purchase the food. And then we planned the meals and made the grocery list and drove to the store and the farmer's market. And we bought the groceries and we prepared the meal. When we bow down, when we bow our heads before the meal, we are thanking God for the ability to earn a living and for a planet that is able to grow food and for farmers and field workers and truckers who grew the food and brought it to the store, for the workers in Giant Eagle who stocked the shelves. The food appears on our plates not because we simply prayed for it and waited for it to appear, but because many, many people did their part. So yes, God helps those who help themselves. It has some scriptural basis to it. However, the way that we most often live out that saying is fundamentally unbiblical. One of the overarching themes that we find in scripture is that God works through individuals to help those who are in need. Often, our times of prayer aren't simply to make us feel better or for us to, to get something from God or to receive something, but often our prayer is meant to empower us and guide us into action so that we can be the instruments that God uses to change the world. But the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, 
is sometimes used as a way to avoid helping others, of avoid doing our, our part to love our neighbors. With the kids this morning, during children's time, it's a very simple, put a hand behind your back, put one hand on the wall, on the earth. Very simple instructions. It was not easy to live out. I feel like there is some symbolism with this today. We know this. We see that we are supposed to help one another. But that simple instruction sometimes gets lost in translation so easily. The fact of the matter is, some people truly cannot help themselves. For many individuals that are trapped in poverty, self-help isn't nearly as simple as pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. Sometimes people are in a hole so deep that they cannot climb out of it without help. When Adam Hamilton was 23, he believed that he could easily help a homeless man and turn his life around. When the homeless man asked him, hey, can you, can you spare some money for lunch? Adam said to him, well, I can do better than that. How about I take you to lunch? And so they, they went to lunch, they sat down, and after Adam had paid for his lunch, he said to, to the homeless man, you know, I'd love to see you get a job. Can, let me help you. Can I help you get a job? And the man looked at him and said, sure, why, why don't you help me with that? And so they started with a basic resume, because that's how you get ready to look for jobs. And the, the homeless man wrote down his name, and then Hamilton asked for his information. And the man said, dude, I don't have a, a phone number or an address. I, I live on the street. And so they skipped that part and moved on to education. And then Hamilton quickly found out that the man's education was extremely limited. And so then they moved on to references. And, and when Adam said to the man, well, what about your references? How, who are some people that, um, that you can put down that people can call? And the guy just looked at him and said, if I had references, I would not be sleeping on the street. And so then they, they turned to the classified ads. Maybe there was just something the classified ads that he could um, be qualified for. But after an hour and a half of sitting together, really what happened was that Adam learned that how little he knew about the situations in which many, many homeless people find themselves. Now I'm sure many of us, when we see that homeless person on the um, exit ramp at, in Cleveland, when we see them, we assume that they could just help themselves, that if they did a list of these different things, that they could pull themselves up and they could get a job, they could find a home and everything would be fine. But often what we don't take into account is that our reading of addresses and phone numbers and references and knowing things like how to dress for a job and a place to take a shower, that reality is very different, far removed from the reality that many homeless people live in. Now certainly we should all do our part to support ourselves whenever we can. But sometimes people face challenges that they just do not know how to overcome on their own. 
They simply don't have the resources that they need to do it. So God commands us, God's people, to take special concern of the poor and the orphan and the widow, the needy who cannot help themselves. And that's the message that we hear in our second scripture that Sue read for us from Leviticus. God says, when you harvest the crops of your land, don't harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and don't pick up the harvest, what the harvesters drop. Leave that for the poor, and for the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. That, that end, I am the Lord your God. God is saying, I declare this. I am your Lord, and I declare this of you. God is insisting that the farmers intentionally leave part of their crops on their property unharvested. Instead of consuming it themselves or selling it, the portion was to be left for those who were not able to make ends meet, for those strangers in the land who didn't have their own crops to harvest. That command involved compassion and charity, but also the dignity of work. The poor had to harvest it for themselves. And it involved a recognition that God is the ultimate source of our wealth and our property. Yes, in this scripture, it was the Israelites' land. It was their work that, that created the crops, that, that grew the crops, and they took care of them and harvested them. But God was the ultimate provider. God is reminding them that everything ultimately is God's. In this command, God was making sure that all of God's people had enough through God's bounty. Throughout Scripture, we see examples of God calling us to look beyond ourselves and to help those in need. Here in Leviticus, and then in the first chapter of James, we read it, True devotion, the kind that is pure and faultless before God the Father, is this. True devotion is this, to care for orphans and widows and their difficulties. And in Galatians, Paul says that we are saved by the kind of faith that moves our hearts to action. Faith working through love. In Proverbs, we see many examples of this. One of which is those who close their ears to the cries of the poor will themselves call out and receive no answer. And Jesus, in two very famous parables, the parable of the sheep and the goats, and the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells us that God judges not only by our faith, but whether our faith leads us to action, leads us to greater compassion for the poor and the needy. Really, the overarching biblical truth is not God helps those who help themselves. It's God helps those who cannot help themselves. Showing compassion and mercy for those who struggle is part of the very nature of God. And one of the ways that God meets those who are in need is by acting through other people. Put your hand up again. These are the hands of God. Jenny said it very simply and plainly. That is this. I've never seen angels bring food or clothing and shelter down from heaven. I've never seen food rain down from the sky other than in that movie. But I have seen God's people giving socks to a homeless man. 
giving a gas card to someone who is between jobs and needs that gas to get to their new job. Or gifts to children whose parents are in jail. We can and we should debate the best ways of helping people and not hurting them, of creating independence for them so that they can care for themselves and not creating dependence. But what is not debatable, what is scriptural, is our calling to help. Because we just might be God's answer to someone else's prayer. Sometimes, though, we find ourselves judging those who need help for not being able to just do it themselves. I don't know if it's pride or stubbornness or conceit, but, but I felt it in myself, seeing someone and saying, why can't they just figure it out? Why can't they just, I've done it, many people have done it, why can't they just do it themselves? But let us remember that we have all encountered a time when we haven't been able to help ourselves. We can call it sin or despair or whatever we want, but there are things from which we simply cannot save ourselves, no matter how hard we do. We simply don't have the strength or the knowledge or the resources. And that's when we turn to God in those moments and we cry out and we say, God, help me. God is the only one who can help us in those moments. And God doesn't say, well, you didn't earn it. God reaches out and picks us up and makes us whole. In those moments, God says, I love you and I will not abandon you. Put your trust in me and together we can make this right. Together we can do this. This is this message that scripture shows us over and over and over again. Of God saying, I am here. Nothing, no matter what you have done or have been unable to do, can separate you from my love. That is grace. God's unmerited favor and love for God's people. It's the ultimate example that God helps those who cannot help themselves. And it's because of this, because of this grace that, and the help that we have received, not because we deserved it, but because we were given it, that then we go out and we help others. Not because they deserve it, but because of what, because we have the honor of helping them. Because we have had the honor of receiving God's help and God's love. And we have the honor of sharing that with others. We help and we serve because Jesus. Is that simple? Now I challenge you this week that when you see someone who needs help, when you begin to have those little glimmers of, of judgment come into your mind as they always do, whether it's a homeless person that you see, or it's your friend who's constantly struggling, or it's your son-in-law who just can't seem to fix something around the house. First remember, when God helped you, even when you didn't deserve it, and then pray, God, how can I be your hands and your feet in this situation? Pray, and then go do. That's what we are called. Almighty God, you have given us everything we have, and often we like to take credit ourselves 
we like to focus on the fact that we did the work, that we put in the time and the energy, the effort, and, and we have the skills. But God, let us remember that you have gifted us with the skills. You have gifted us with the resources and the opportunities. You've gifted us with the knowledge and the money. You've gifted us with everything that we have. God, you have gifted us with forgiveness and everlasting life. So because of that, because of Jesus, help us to go and do. Help us to love your people, to be your hands and feet in this world. So that this hurting world might know your love and your redemption.